This is a podcast by Householders Options to Protect the Environment, Hope Australia. We are a community environmental education and capacity building organisation based in Toowoomba, South East Queensland, Australia. This is a podcast in the series Eco Social Work in Australia. It was produced for Hope Australia in Toowoomba, Queensland, on and adjacent to the traditional lands of the Jarawa, Guyabal, Yugara and Waka Waka peoples. Hope pays respect to the past, present and emerging leaders of all First Nations people in this country and acknowledges the unique contribution that their cultures make to contemporary Australia. Hello, my name is Andrew Nicholson and I am the producer of the Eco-Social Work in Australia podcast series. The Eco-Social Work in Australia podcast series has now been expanded to include guest interviews with social work professionals who either practice outside of Australia or with individuals who work in closely allied fields such as public health or psychology. This has been a conscious decision made in recognition that social work is a global as well as national profession and one which benefits from the sharing of interdisciplinary knowledge and expertise, particularly in connection to dealing with the practice implications of increasing physical environmental challenges such as global heating and climate disruption. Within the social work profession generally, This move toward a more holistic, collaborative approach to building eco-social practice requires a much stronger focus to be put on those physical environmental challenges and impacts relevant to client intervention and a need to frame client work using the close links which exist between social, environmental and ecological justice objectives. Such approaches to building eco-social practice internationally have been encapsulated in the 2022 World Social Work Day theme of co-building a new eco-social world, leaving no one behind, and the Associated People Summit that is coming up at the end of June into early July. Now, my next guest is very much an internationalist in her outlook, and therefore a good representative for the more cosmopolitan direction for the podcast series. Dr. Meredith Powers is an American-based and internationally focused practitioner across a range of roles. Dr. Powers is an assistant professor in the Department of Social Work at University of North Carolina, Greensboro, USA. She teaches and conducts community-engaged scholarship on topics of climate justice, climate migration, the eco-social world views and ecotherapeutic practices for well-being. She is also the founder and director of the Climate Justice Programme of the International Federation of Social Workers, and she also established and co-administers the Global Green Eco-Social Work Collaborative Network. So after that very lengthy introduction, um, Dr. Powers, it's a great pleasure to talk with you today. That's so wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on the show and expanding it to international guests. So Meredith, I want to start the conversation by asking you to introduce yourself more fully. I started, you know, into your very extensive CV there, but there's much, much more. Give us some of the highlights of your very wide and inspiring professional background and also some insight into how you developed your particular interest in eco-social work, that still emerging body of ideas and practice within, main, within the mainstream profession. I got into looking at environmental issues as a young child. I became very enthralled with it and saw it as a justice issue. Honestly, um, I read some children's books and um, it, it appealed to me that there was injustice to the environment, to other species, not just to humans. And so that sort of, I think, is what the 
you know, the impetus that launched me down this road. Um, eventually, I made my way into social work. I thought I was going to go into environmental studies and sort of the, the more hard sciences and found pretty quickly that that was not my forte. So I moved over into social work, loved it, found a perfect fit, a home for me. Um, but at the time, I did not really marry the two ideas. I thought that I had to focus on, you know, the human issues of injustice and um, the different pathways there. I was actually focused on working with immigrants and refugees. And um, it was during my master's program, working on internships with immigrants and refugees, as well as taking a class on sustainable development, that sort of, I had this epiphany or this aha moment that the two obviously were very connected. Um, it was not part of my own worldview growing up, which was much more um, anthropocentric or human-centered. Um, and so it wasn't until that master's program in social work that I started making these connections and seeing that, oh my goodness, this is something that all social workers should be involved in and, and understanding our roles and responsibilities to address um, environmental justice issues and the broader eco-social or um, climate justice issues, if you will. So um, yeah, so I think it was during the master's program, it kind of started down that role, you know, focus of eco-social work, if you will. But during my doctoral program, then I started researching and having this question burning in my own heart. How do so social workers get into this if, you know, we aren't necessarily teaching it in a mainstream way? And so I interviewed lots of social workers who had been working on environmental issues as social workers and seeing, you know, how they came to this. Did they already have some sort of worldview that was different, um, that happened to be like an eco-social focused worldview versus an anthropocentric worldview? Um, or did they have an epiphany moment such as the one that I had during my master's program that led them to understand those roles and responsibilities? So um, yeah, it was just a really fascinating journey for me to learn about other people's understanding of what social work is as a profession, how we incorporate those um, issues of justice that extend beyond just um, social justice, but to the whole ecosystem, to all species, and to the future generations as well. So I think a lot of that has been my own journey, and I'm so excited about it and passionate about it because, for me, it was not part of my worldview. It is something that is was so novel to me. I'm still such a learner myself. I, I count myself as a lifelong learner and encourage my students to do to consider that as well. Um, but just learning from many different indigenous scholars and social work and, and, and beyond have really opened my eyes and um, helped me to develop my own embrace of an eco-social worldview. And that's something that I'm trying to help the mainstream profession of social work that has honestly been more anthropocentric, grown out of a lot of the growth ideology, the um, different ways that it has marginalized and pushed aside those other worldviews that are eco-social and more sustainable, um, authentically sustainable. And honestly, those social workers have been doing this kind of social work all along. <laughs> so we're not really doing anything new. We're just turning to those experts and saying, how have you been doing this? How can we now also embrace this and mainstream it as social workers? And so that's Really, the goal um, of when I started working with IFSW and saying, how can we move this forward at a global level? 
um, starting the climate justice program. That was one of the ways that it was just an outreach to social workers at large to see how we are already doing these things so that we start normalizing it. And also how do we mainstream more eco-social worldviews so that they become part of our role and our identity as social workers um, working in these areas. So again, I'm trying to help people realize that it's not a niche practice. It's not like going into school social work or medical social work, but all social work anywhere, everywhere with any population at any level really could be eco-social work if it's just done with an eco-social worldview or perspective. I think that's such a, a valuable perspective to have, you know, in the sense of um, a crowded professional repertoire that idea that this is not something new, you know, that has to be completely relearned or something like that, that many of the aspects of eco-social practice, you know, fit very well on top of existing practice methods. You know, some people have said, you know, characterized it as using a lens, an ecocentric lens, a nature-centered lens, you know, that takes in the physical environment and ecological concerns. It's not a completely new form of practice. But very interesting to hear your personal story then, you know, how that evolved. And, and then, you know, in terms of your doctoral work, you know, interviewing social workers, hearing their stories. I mean, this podcast series is a, a sort of set of narratives of stories um, where practitioners, you know, from various locations and um, approaches are talking about the unifying theme is their interest in eco practice. So eco-social practice. So uh, very interesting to hear about that. And you also... Uh, talked about you introduced there which we're now going to expand on your very passionate interest in promoting and promulgating um, the eco-social worldview and worldviews uh, to students and a new generation of, of um, social workers so perhaps you know with that in mind let's come to the first I suppose substantive question in the in the interview which is for you what is and drilling down on, on what you've already started there what is the meaning and significance of eco-social work practice in 2022 from your personal perspective? Yeah, that's a great question. Anchoring it in our current context in 2022 uh, with multiple pandemics raging around us and within us, um, I would say that the eco-social worldviews help us to find, again, that authentic sustainability that we're all craving in life, that we all need to sustain our spirit to sustain our work within social work, to sustain the hope that we even have a future to keep working towards justice for. So I would say helping my students, helping myself, um, who we may not have art within our culture of origins, grown up with an eco-social worldview or lens. Um, for others, it's just part of their whole being. Um, it, it's something that they, they exist and they thrive in that area, but they also have um, so much to teach us. And, and yet it may just be that they're being oppressed in so many other ways and fighting so many other battles amongst all of these different contexts within 2022. So it may be hard for others to maybe bring it to the forefront quite as much. Um, so I'm hoping just to find a way to create platforms for people to have conversations um, similar to this podcast that I'm thrilled about and all the folks that you've been able to interview and um, hear their expertise and their wisdom being shared and the journeys that we're all on um, and how we can help each other. Again, sustained spirit is one of the things that just keeps resonating with me. How do we hold on to that hope um, and 
you know, honestly, there, there's a recent book that I read about um, fungi and all of the interconnected web um, that it just kind of brought this global perspective of all of the troubles and woes in the world into a very microcosm way of the things that are going on in us, or in our bodies, in the soil, all around us, that the life is happening and taking place without my knowledge and without my control. And obviously my false sense of control sometimes um, where I feel like I have to intervene in everything. Um, but that sometimes, you know, nature just really knows how to take care of itself. And we just need to listen to nature. I'm learning to, from, you know, Robin Wall Kimmerer, the braiding sweetgrass book is one of my utmost favorites. And, you know, the, the wisdom and the teaching of plants that we can um, learn from. So I think so many of those things for me also is just the mindfulness practice and being aware of so many things that I'm having to unlearn from my old worldview and then trying to embrace um, something that is so, so different from, from what, the ways that I used to understand the world. And it's fascinating and it's, it's wonderful. And I think it's a great time to see all of these interconnections, um, the holistic well-being that we all need within our human kin, but also within the kinship of other species and, and, and future generations as well. So yeah, I guess that's the main, the main thing that's happening right now in this context, because there's just so much going on globally and locally that, you know, we're trying to get a handle on, but I would say that just being aware of our worldview and how that impacts the way that we make decisions, the way that we think about even our the most simple things, um, our behaviors, but also the way that we interrelate, um, how we create policies and practices. Those are just, they all are so interconnected. Thanks for that, you know, articulating that very, and spending quite a bit of time on that very core principle of eco-social practice of holism, you know, which could be very simply, um, described as everything is connected to everything else and therefore you require you know at whatever level in whatever professional sector you're in you really need to be mindful of those interconnections if you're going to do justice to full-blown work whatever that might be uh, we'll we'll put some references into the episode notes there you mentioned some very interesting texts i think i have glimpsed one of those and, and um you know very much anchored to that ecocentric worldview that nature-centered worldview Let's get more savvy about that, you know, in order to actually sharpen up our practice in a number of ways. We'll put some references to that in there. Um, but I also know, uh, Meredith, that you, you, you've you written quite specifically, co-authored a number of publications, drilling down even further than this to case study type material. You, I mean, you and your colleagues produced uh, a series of books, for instance, um, on social work, promoting community and environmental sustainability uh, at an international level, which, amongst other things, consisted of a series of perspectives from different workers from around the world talking about their views, just exactly the sort of thing that we're doing now, what their view of eco-social work practice anchored to some stuff they'd done on the ground. Just as a way of drilling this down to, you know, how eco-social work in practice, may be able to help tackle some key international sustainability challenges, for example, like global heating, climate disruption, or other environment and linked social justice challenges. Does anything come to mind in your, you know, amazing range of work that actually exemplifies that at a more specific on the ground level? So the case studies, yeah, I would say every chapter 
honestly, um, in the, the series, it's, it's the workbook series that you're referring to with IFSW, um, promoting social and environmental sustainability. And that was a co-edited series with my amazing colleague and friend, Michaela Rinkle. Um, she approached me to, to get involved and I thought, oh, this would be fun, but let's make it international. And so we reached out to IFSW. They agreed um, to publish it and we wanted it to be open access again. One of the, the tenets of what I'm trying to, to promote and mainstream is to get it into everyone's hands, um, not just those that have access to the higher education and, and different resources for subscriptions. We wanted these resources for ourselves to learn and to teach our students as much as to um, you know, just create these platforms so that people can share what they are doing already. Again, to normalize it, to say, hey, folks are already doing this. It's not something new. Um, and here's a million examples. So. I mean, it might be from disaster recovery and preparedness in the Caribbean to um, working in, you know, eco tourism in different places around the world. I mean, just thinking of some of the ones that I recently used to teach my own students. Um, so, yeah, there's just case studies in every facet and all the different regions of the world that are really fascinating and and show you some of the on the ground ways that climate justice, um, you know, drilling down into ecotherapy or other facets that really could be useful for practitioners who are already into this work, for students who are trying to figure out what is social work and how would you even do this? You know, I, I get emails constantly, at least, you know, every other week from a student or a colleague or someone who's saying, how do I teach this? How do I get this into the curriculum? How do I um, infuse this? Or what do I need to do um, to get a career in this? Or how can I do this as a social work student when it's not necessarily being taught at my school? Um, so really helping them to find ways and infuse it and to recognize that it's anywhere, everywhere. Um, any of the programs or papers that they're writing or, you know, aspects of a field education opportunity, how can they see that through an eco-social lens and then operate differently? You know, we, we literally would set ourselves on a different course, a different trajectory, if we had that different worldview that we all embrace um, in a mainstream social work way. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, just talking, you picking out one thing you mentioned there, um, natural, so-called natural disaster response. I mean, we now know that uh, these natural disasters in the Australian context, I think also in American context, but Australia recently, 2019, 2020, major bushfires in this country uh, earlier this year, and it's still occurring to some extent, major flooding events down the eastern seaboard of the country, of the continent uh, in the states of Queensland and New South Wales number of social workers involved in the recovery phase, um, you know, dealing with mental health first aid issues, the shock, the stress, um, provisioning of um, household goods and rehousing, emergency rehousing, stuff like that. But again, you know, thinking with that more expanded worldview that is coming to us through eco-social work theories and practice, you know, perhaps there is, well, not perhaps, there definitely is a role, an expanded role for social work in the preventative aspects of looking at uh, natural, so-called natural disaster events um, around advocacy for, you know, better and effective control on greenhouse gas emissions, climate change mitigation, stuff like that. And then perhaps a much longer term follow-up because the psychosocial research is showing us that the psychological ripple effects of these disaster events, perhaps unsurprisingly, are hanging around in, in some communities for years five six seven years or more um affecting people oh, on decades even i mean it, it 
it's even getting into the genetic codes of people who are living in distress for so long and, you know, generational trauma um, is actually being documented and studied as well. So, yeah. And I'm glad you did point out that it's not natural disaster. I mean, what, what used to be natural is now exacerbated so, so completely by human interaction. And um, it's definitely something that is coming to the forefront of, again, my work prior to coming into academia as a professor, but um, then you know, working with immigrants and refugees and trying to get at the root of why were they having to migrate in the first place. And a lot of what I was starting to realize is that there's climate migration and it may not just appear that it's related to the climate on the surface. It might be that people are navigating out of war zones or, um, you know, for different reasons of conflict, but what were they having the conflict over? And it's usually those access to natural resources, if you will, and that people are prioritizing the access to those resources and seeing them as commodities in this growth ideology and not valuing the human lives. So there's just so many reasons for all of this trauma you know, being created. Other folks may just say, oh, well, I had to migrate because we couldn't grow our crops anymore. But we couldn't, you know, make our make ends meet, you know, economically. They would just say that. In some of my climate um, migration research, is to kind of get at the interview a little bit further and say, well, what was going on in the environment, you know, that you couldn't um, grow enough crops, or maybe there was some monocropping going on by big corporations, and it was depleting the soil quality, and then you couldn't raise enough um, to even sustain your own family, and then that created the need to migrate. So kind of tracing those pieces of migration back to their roots, it really does have to do a lot with climate injustices. Um, I did a presentation somewhat recently um, for around World Social Work Day with uh, different presidents of the Association of Social Workers in the Caribbean. And um, was thrilled to learn from them and to share what little bit I knew and to hear about their context was really um very much disaster focused, you know, the preparedness, um, you know, one person indicated in Haiti that they just didn't have enough training around how to be prepared as social workers to deal with the gravity of everything that was going on. And yet that was part of their day-to-day existence and professional role. So out of that conversation and sharing um, during that time, we actually came up with an idea to create some sort of curriculum, some sort of modules that could be co-created by the folks there in the Caribbean or from other parts of the world and, and put online and, and made available for social work practitioners and students and whoever needs it to you know, be an open access resource that people can contribute to um, that could really help in, in those specific instances around climate injustices related to disaster specifically. Great stuff, uh, Meredith. And, I, and perhaps we may come back to that educational aspect of and promotional aspect of eco-social practice uh, towards the end of the interview. But just staying with this international focus at the moment, um, and just perhaps to give an early plug, because this episode may well be completed and put up online, possibly, um, before the uh, People's Summit that's coming up, which is also, you know, shares that theme of co-building a new eco-social world, leaving no one behind. The same theme as World Social Work Day, the IFSW's um, processes there. What, what can we, do you have any view about, um, I mean, I'm sure we're going to see a fantastic uh, smorgasbord of uh, 
presentations and discussions and case studies you know this is the 29th of june to the 2nd of july from memory but have you got any particular view on what we might be seeing coming up there or something that might have taken your interest uh, at an early early stage well, I think there's two things that pique my interest the most. I'm, I'm obviously very excited and promoting it amongst all of the folks that would even listen to me or my students who have to listen to me. Um, but I'm really encouraging everyone to get involved. I love, honestly, that it's interdisciplinary because as social workers, we know that we can't just work within our own profession, that every time you know we step out and move, we're, we're co-building and, and co-creating things with uh, the communities and the people that we serve, um, as well as other professions who are also engaged in those different things. It, it definitely takes all of us. Again, these are um, very complex problems that we have to come at it from all different angles and through all different professional lenses as well, um, as well as understanding that the, the people in the crisis are actually the experts themselves. They're the experts on their own lives that we all understand as social workers, but how do we elevate them in a time of crisis in order to have their voice being heard? So I think this is a cool way to do that, you know, integrating, you know, people from many, many communities around the world. It's an international conference. It's interdisciplinary. Um, it has so much support. And the other pieces that, you know, we are co-building it. And it is a new eco-social world. And I love that they've really taken up this concept of eco-social so that it's starting to mainstream the idea that we need a different worldview um, at, at the helm of social work professionally, that we can no longer relegate those eco-social worldviews to the sidelines and act as if um, they aren't, you know, mattering, but certainly they're not just, they don't only matter, they are central to our existence on this planet, as well as um, the way that we operate as a profession. So definitely excited about these opportunities so i think personally you know that title i it's such a clever title i mean obviously a lot of thought must have got into it because it's very succinct but it can it, it holds so many of the themes of eco-social practice collaborative you know interdisciplinary work bringing in an eco-centric worldview a nature-centered worldview and the social justice aspect which you could even argue, I, I don't know your take on this, but we'll leave this one behind for the time being, but leaving no one behind could certainly include, in my view anyway, other species other than humans, uh, which would neatly bring in the ecological justice aspect as well. I think personally that title uh, could be become the mission statement of um, eco-social work practice generally. I mean, it's such a nicely honed, uh, you know, I mean, there might be different views about that, but it seems very, very nicely produced. But look, yeah, and I think what, what you just pointed out is that, that that would be mainstreamed as what social work is. Social work is eco-social work. Um, either we change the whole title of it and everyone everywhere embraces eco-social work or we just understand social work from an eco-social worldview is that broad, that inclusive. I have heard that, you know, same theme from another guest in this series who basically said, look, in her, in, in her aspiration, in her vision, you know, ultimately the eco-hyphenated or unhyphenated aspect the prefix will fall away because it will have been incorporated into mainstream work. So there'll be no need to sort of prefigure it anymore. But I mean, let's, let's hope that comes about sooner rather than later. Um, <laughs> but let, let's, let's move now to the sort of middle, I suppose, of the interview. I do try and get in what I suppose, you know, as is my um, small contribution to bring in a sort of critical view into this uh, interview process. 
and just ask the so what question, just to be provocative in the best sense of that word. <clears throat> so the question is, why should, in your case, Meredith, why should the US and international social work profession be involved with such eco-social work concerns as we have been discussing? You know, essentially, this is a provocative question just to reinforce the absolute centrality and importance of eco-social work, but I'm just, I just pose it in that way. The idea that sometimes social workers initially, if they don't have an eco-social worldview already that they embrace, um, might give a little pushback and say, oh, working on environmental issues, isn't that for the environmentalists or you know, the scientists and those other different disciplines? And they do, they give me a little pushback. Um, but it's not very long. If you present them with the ideas of seeing as social workers, some of our main tenets are looking at person and environment, however you want to contextualize that. Um, but I have started, you know, broadening it to understand um, sort of the people as place idea of um, Kim Zaff. That was one that really impressed upon me, this understanding that person and environment has to be broader. It has to be the built and the natural environment, not just the social, economic, political environments, but that the entire context that we exist in um, needs to be included. And as social workers, we have to broaden that um, understanding. I think once you start thinking about it that way, broadening that perspective and shifting to an eco-social worldview, you start to see that all social work really does connect. You know, I mean, if you're working with children who are suffering from asthma and they're having problems in school and you don't think about their nutrition or their access to food and, you know, the healthy foods that are um, not just part of the industrial food system, but the actual healthy, you know, grown organic foods, um, the asthma that might be caused from their built environment, um, all those different aspects, you know, once you start speaking to different social workers, find whatever population they might be working on and say, okay, tell me about your population, tell me about the issues that are going on, and then you can connect it to a lot of the context of the natural and built environment. Um, and then they start to see the light. It's really not a hard sell. I think people start to embrace it. They just haven't necessarily heard it until that point. Um, it may be from a conversation. It may be from an aha moment like I had as an epiphany during school. Um, or it may be a gradual progression as we just start to normalize this within the profession and then other you know, newly um, indoctrinated social workers, if you will, um, would start to say, oh yeah, that's part of the professional roles and responsibilities. Um, for me, understanding professional socialization was also part of my research and seeing how not only do we come into a profession that shapes us and quote unquote indoctrinates us um, with our values and ethics and practices, you know, skill sets and different things, but once you come into a profession, you enter it, you actually have the ability to impact it as well. So it's a reciprocal process of professional socialization. And so maybe people come in who are already very aware of climate change, very active, very into many different pieces of this puzzle from other angles of their life, but they bring that into now their professional careers. And then they start doing that work as professional social workers, and then people start to, to see these connections, start to say, oh, yeah, that person's a social worker, but they're working on that issue, and they see all these connections um, to, and, you know, ecological systems, and 
it just they start to shape the profession as well. So that's an exciting piece um, of the times in our context. Well, I think it's great to hear that, you know, in that teaching role, it, it is not too hard, in a sense, to answer the question for the students uh, that uh, they follow on. But I'm just thinking perhaps also, I mean, there's always background publicity at the wider level uh, and sort of uh, international scientific concern going on. But I mean, the IPCC's latest report, latest iteration of a batch of reports is just making that point. One point it makes is that we all need to be getting on with this. All, all sectors of society have to be getting on to the climate disruption uh, challenge, other environmental challenges, uh, and, and therefore it's beholden upon every sector of society, which would include the social work profession and, and, and every other um, profession as well. So perhaps that is also filtering into the mix. I don't know. But it's good to hear that, in fact, you haven't got to work too hard to... Um, answer that you know perhaps obvious question but perhaps it's worth asking it and answering it you know a number of times just to reinforce the value of an eco-social worldview. Meredith now as we come to towards the end starting to wrap up for this fantastic interview I start to shift the focus uh, towards the future and you know ask again probably an impossible question you know nobody has a crystal ball to uh, predict the future uh, these days it wouldn't be no, nobody has a precise algorithm to predict the future but you know one day we might have that um but nonetheless uh, this sort of creative dreaming a little bit because i honestly do think and I, i'm sure you share it because i know your very inspiring and optimistic work does look to the future we have to have a vision admittedly it has to have a vision anchored to a whole series of practice issues but you you have to have the vision for change transformative change otherwise you know not a lot changes so uh, around that that subject the question becomes around the sh uh, short to midterm midterm future what could or should in your view the short to midterm future say the next two to ten years hold for eco-social work interventions that is as a body of practice within let's again just say either the u.s sphere or the international social work mainstream however you want to frame that that is a big ask um I think I'm going to start a little bit from a different angle. It's actually going to be about how do we approach things as social workers and you start with yourself as the tool um, that you need to practice mindfulness, be a lifelong learner, and be aware of your worldview and how that shapes the way that you pick interventions. Um, one of the articles I share with my students is one of my favorites. It kind of helps people figure out if you think a you know, a theory exists or a theory about why a problem exists. And it may be individual level, it may be structural level, whatever the case may be. As social workers, we understand that it's often a mixture of everything, but a lot of structural things are going on. But the interventions often don't match the theory about why we think this problem exists. So we might understand in theoretical perspective that this problem is structural, and yet we keep throwing individual interventions out there. And so I think one of it is to be mindful. Like, are we doing the interventions that should be done if we really figure out why these problems are happening in the first place? Again, tracing those problems back to the beginning, you know, the climate migration. Why are people migrating? Okay, let's just do refugee resettlement on the other end as an individual intervention versus wanting to get at the root of the problem and say, why are, you know, these folks being forced or migrating under such, you know, horrific, you know, duress. So how do we get at the beginning and do interventions? And often that takes a shift in worldview to shift those major structural 
economic, political, ideological issues that are creating the need for people to have to migrate, um, creating such trauma in the world that we're exacerbating climate you know, change and then it creates quote unquote natural disasters or exacerbates it. So all these different pieces of the puzzle have to be mindfully sorted out and addressed in a different way. So it's almost like we need to ask different questions of ourselves and of our interventions. I think the other piece is that we have to be very mindful of how we, in the midst of multiple pandemics going on, you know, with not just the COVID crisis, but obviously ongoing systemic racism around the world and in our different localities, as we know, um, so many different pandemics. But the mental health piece of it is also something that we will not be able to sustain ourselves and keep being active contributors if we don't practice different ways to attend to our own mental health. Um, that's one thing that I think has sustained me throughout my work in this over the few decades that I've been enjoying this work, but also struggling, honestly. Um, there's days where you just feel utterly paralyzed and you feel like nothing is gonna make a difference, so why bother? Sort of the nihilism starts creeping in. Other days you feel like, oh man, I really, made a difference for at least one person in the world or wow I really saw some community change happening and, and you really feel hopeful. Um, I remember when the IPCC report just recently came out and my response was like we got to get on top of this with hope and so for the climate justice program we put out a statement um, for IFSW climate justice program we put out a statement again focusing on how do we embrace the eco-social world views and build for you know a new future that has that hope in mind um, what are we already doing look to the solutions that, that's another thing I'm trying to get my students to think about you know if they just focus on the problems they will utterly fall into despair but you can say here's the problem in about a paragraph of a you know, assignment, for instance, and then focus on who's working on the solutions. Who are your allies? Who can you join in the fight and um, find a way to plug yourself in to, to folks that are already doing things, you know, come alongside them or find someone who has a similar passion and find a way to start, start something new. Um, the other piece of that puzzle for me is ecotherapy that has been instrumental in my own, you know, journey but also something that I really highly encourage other students written about a little bit with um, different colleagues. And again, ecotherapy for me is anything from holding a rock when you feel stressed and you're stuck inside to going out into wilderness or petting your beloved um, fur baby. I have a, a little dog, so obviously he's really good ecotherapy. Um, for me, also, it's just realizing that we're part of nature, that there's no disconnect. You know, we, we say, oh, we've been so disconnected to nature, let's go reconnect. Well, that's a false sense of dichotomy because we are nature. You know, we're part of the ecosystem. We're just one species. So um, those different aspects have really fostered my own ability to be a tool, to be able to complete interventions in the world on these many different complex problems. Um, so yeah, just starting it from a different place, like what, how are we approaching these problems from what worldview and do our theories and interventions match up? Um, those would be the questions I would ask. And then honestly, again, going back to the people are experts in their own lives, the folks who are experiencing the most impact of climate injustices, 
in, in those different ecosystems that are feeling the, the heavy burden, um, they can see it. They can see the changes. And how can we come alongside them and equip them with what they need to create the solutions in their own communities? That was one of the pieces of the puzzle that um, the IFSW Climate Justice Program we were hoping to do. Again, we were sort of in the pilot phase right when COVID um, started. So we dialed it back a little bit in that sense and moved more into the education um, and advocacy work aspects. But that was to find regional projects around the world, um, come alongside the folks who are doing the work in their own communities with climate justice work and help to fund them based on some of the contributions that people were donating from you know, their own desire to, again, not offset climate um, impact from their travel footprint or ecological footprint, but redress it, you know, recognizing, being mindful that we do have that footprint, we do have that impact and that we're part of the problem um, and how can we be part of the solution as well. And um, so that was sort of the vision behind that and hopefully that'll get moving forward in the near future as well. But a lot of the other pieces of the puzzle, the education components, advocacy components have been ramped up a little bit. And one of the things is actually to potentially do a podcast to have more conversations around this, to have people, you know, be featured that can say, I've been working on this in my community. And here's how we got support and funding and opportunities and collaborators and all the different ways um, so that they could, you know, be a platform to share these ideas with others. Thanks very much. You know, I, what I take from that very detailed um description about stuff that may well take place or needs to take place you know in the next 10 years as we position ourselves as a profession generally yes there is the process you know the expanded process of problem identification in regards to client need assessment interventions but bringing in the, bringing in that extra physical environmental and ecological dimension there's also that you know need to perhaps um, accentuate more community process type work collaborative democratic respectful engagement with communities who have the knowledge who hold the knowledge themselves about what they need you know working respectfully with that as opposed to trying to impose some top-down bureaucratic thing we know where that goes but you know equally what i take is you know that very uh strong emphasis on the marshalling of ourselves as the human resource we are that we need particularly as we start to engage with these you know more challenging wicked Inter, interleaved problems of environment, ecology, and, and uh, society, we need to be even more mindful perhaps than before about looking after ourselves. I know, you know, you, you touched upon there indirectly a fantastic article that you co-authored on radical self-care for social workers. And we'll put a link to that paper, very, very useful paper in the, um, in the episode notes as well. But that emphasis of, yes, you know, we need to be more effective in terms of our process, but we also need to be thinking about marshalling ourselves, looking after ourselves, because the risk of extra levels of stress and the potential for burnout is always potentially there, you know, in the social work field as in other fields. Um, but maybe we need more effective ways of looking at that as we get into these more you know challenging areas that's that's what i took from your comments i hope that represents represents what you oh, were saying that was a great summary and also the article you just referred to on the radical self-care i think the title is a little bit misleading if you don't go a little further deeper into it because the radical part is that the self-care cannot happen unless you get into community care 
unless you start actively working on the things that are creating the anxiety or the whatever the mental health um, issue may maybe that you're facing or multiple issues. Um, and so the radical part, it's like not just sitting around eating bonbons and patting yourself on the back and fanning yourself, you know, like the old version of self-care, if you will. But it's, it's doing the things that would actually alleviate the stressors to begin with. Um, so it's, it's, again, it's finding the allyship. It's finding those opportunities to go out and do something about it. Um, it's the, I love the quote, the E.B. White quote. It says, you know, I rise every morning wondering uh, whether I should, let's see, I'll have to find the exact quote, but with the, you know, the desire to save the world or savor the world. And it makes it very hard to plan the day. So I think for me, I feel that sometimes, you know, I, sometimes I just want to savor the world, the, the beauty of nature, the, the little tiny minutia of a flower <clears throat> that grows out of the concrete as I'm passing on the sidewalk on the way to teach a class. Um, it's the beauty of nature and the sunsets. I mean, all these different aspects that we feel you in that sense of self-care in the sense that you're realizing that you're not just oneself, that you're interrelated, you have kinship all around you. And that if you have that different perspective and that there's different pieces of radical self-care, it looks very different than other aspects of self-care. So um, in fact, we did a follow-up article more recently um, looking at eco-therapeutic practices for climate justice and, and healing. So that's another um, one where we just kind of continued that conversation, my uh, dear colleague and friend, Sandra Engstrom. So again, the more we committed to write about things and think about them, it actually forced us to practice our own self-care and to get involved in these different aspects of radical self-care and community care. So that was a fun piece of the, the writing process for us, as well as being educators and trying to have something to put into the hands of our students to get these ideas across to them as well. Thanks so much, uh, Meredith, for unpacking that further, you know, I suppose, understanding of radical, the root causes, the root reasons uh, underlying stuff, get back to that, that understanding, which is going to help not only you structure your work more effectively, but also get you thinking about how you can look after yourself more effectively as well. So thank you for that. Look, just now as we come up to the end of this very diverse um, set of discussions we've had here, each one has been a, a small you know, sort of uh, podcast in itself, um, on, on the basis that we're told that people tend to remember the first and last things that uh, people say in a presentation, um, and as the, the dear listeners go off into, you know, away from cyberspace into their everyday life, I ask each guest in the series to summarize, if at all possible, even just give a few sentences or some you know, take home message that they really want to emphasize um, right at the end of this talk that actually to some extent reflects upon what they've been saying. So do, do you have a few ideas, a few sort of comments to make that summarizes the key messages that you've wanted to put across today? I, I think for me, honestly, at this stage in 2022, at this stage in my academic career, at this stage in the current semester academic year that we're in. Um, we're just finished classes this week and in the grading process and graduation is next week. So it's an exciting time. And also we're at the end of a lot of things to celebrate, but also feeling a little bit tired. So 
my message to my students, to myself, probably to a lot of other folks in the world, the listeners, is finding ways to sustain yourself. Sustaining spirit, again, is that sort of resonating concept for me. And what that looks like for me is building solidarity amongst the profession, amongst others who are working on these topics and knowing that you're not alone and finding those support systems and collaborating and co-building um, a new eco-social world, honestly, is the piece that I hold on to hope and keeps me moving forward when I feel sometimes like giving up, um, but also learning to just rest a little bit, not give up, but to take a moment for yourself if you need to and find ways to sustain your spirit so that you can, we need everyone in this full, full throttle, but also we need to take turns and say, you, you can rest for a moment. Let me um, hold you up and support you and involve you um, in many different ways. I also loved, there's a book back in my doctoral program. I have to find it exactly, but one of the things that stuck out to me was that this person was watching a parade go by, like a, a movement, you know, a, a rally of some sort. And they were sitting on the curb watching the whole parade go by. And they said, that day, you know, I got off the curb and I joined and I followed the crowd. That day I became a leader. And I thought that was just such a significant, different way of understanding leadership. That leaders are not necessarily just the mouthpiece at the top of a, you know, professional organization or school. It's everyone. If you join in this, you are a leader. You are a leader within climate justice work. So I invite everyone to see themselves that way and to, to join in this, not just a dream, but help make it a reality that we are together co-building a new eco-social world. Well, Dr. Powers, that is a particularly inspiring and wise way to end the interview, I think. Um, it's been an absolute gift to talk with you today. And I'm confident, as with all the other speakers in this series, that you've given our audience some very useful and intriguing ideas which could help inform their own thinking and help them start conversations on the subject of eco-social work adoption with their friends, their colleagues, within employing organizations or in their professional associations. In the interim, it just remains for me on behalf of Householders Options to Protect the Environment to thank you so very, very much for your time today. I'm thrilled to be invited and I appreciate your time as well. You've been listening to a podcast episode in the series Eco-Social Work in Australia, produced for Householders Options to Protect the Environment. Please consult the episode text notes for possible references to topics discussed and relevant contact details should you wish to respond to anything you've heard. My name is Andrew Nicholson, producer of the series, and thank you for listening.